Subdural hemorrhages are commonly found on trauma CT scans, particularly as isolated findings in the elderly or in the setting of severe head trauma in younger patients. I actually think of them as two separate diseases. Let's first picture the elderly patient. They will usually have been brought in with a gradual decrease in their mental state, often over a few days. Sometimes it can be dramatic, particularly in those with anticoagulation. Sometimes there is a history of head trauma, but often there isn't. Or the reported head trauma is fairly mild. It is not uncommon to find layering of blood with hypodense supernatant, and this is often termed acute on chronic, although whether this is actually the case or whether it is an acute hemorrhage into a subdural hygroma, which we'll discuss next, or lack of clotting due to anticoagulation is not always clear. In any event, often these patients do really well. There is often underlying brain atrophy, which gives the blood a bit more room, so to speak. In contrast, subdural hematomas in young patients are bad news. Firstly, there isn't that much room in a young skull, which is mostly filled with brain. So even relatively small amounts of blood can cause a massive rise in intracranial pressure. Secondly, they are usually encountered in the setting of either severe head trauma, a minor bump as is often seen in the elderly is not enough to cause a subdural in young patients, otherwise every football player would have them constantly. And they are associated with other brain injuries, particularly hemorrhagic cerebral contusions, or they are seen in the setting of vascular malformations such as dural arteriovenous fistulas, which we won't talk about in this learning pathway. So I think of these as separate issues. Elderly patients with isolated subdurals often do well. Young patients with subdurals, usually part of some more severe underlying brain injury, often do badly. A third group, which fortunately I don't have to see as I work in an adult-only centre, are infants, who can also have subdurals as a result of trauma, often non-accidental injury. We won't discuss this any further in this pathway, but it is critical to remember this in the paediatric setting. Anyway, the key to identifying a subdural is noting its distribution. It is usually a thin crescentic collection that quite happily crosses sutures, unlike extradurals that we have discussed earlier, but will follow the dural reflection. In other words, it will wrap around the hemispheres and into the interhemispheric fissure. Acute subdurals are hyperdense to brain parenchyma. You think this would make them easy to spot, and they are if they're big enough, but a thin subdural, which I sometimes call a smear subdural, will blend with the adjacent bony cortex on routine brain windows and can be easily missed. That is where subdural windows come in. It's just a fancy way of saying, widen your window to be able to distinguish acute blood from adjacent bone. As you read through this page, you will see a nice example of just how important this is. I'm a creature of habit, so I look at subdural windows on every single CT brain I report. I find it easier to just have these sort of blanket rules rather than having to remember to do it just in the setting of trauma. This is especially important as subdurals are often found in a wide variety of situations without obvious trauma. The other important concept to take away from this topic is the idea of an isodense subdural. They are isodense to adjacent brain parenchyma, and this makes them challenging to spot, particularly if thin or bilateral. The trick is to look for the small triangles of CSF that should be seen up against the parietal dura, even in young brains. If you can't see these, or if the cortex looks too thick, or there is unexpected mass effect, then be suspicious. Giving contrast can help as the brain parenchyma and vessels will enhance, and you may see enhancing membranes. So take your time to read through this important topic and make sure that you are comfortable with the differences between extradural hemorrhages, which we spoke about before, and subdural hematomas.